0: So firstly, I want to say a massive thank you to the four of you for joining us or joining me today in uh, in this conversation. The original intent of this conversation is to give me content for my essay, for my eighth den. So it's all about me. <laughs> I could wax lyrical about my opinion about things, but I thought it would be a really good opportunity to examine this issue of how rank impacts leadership skills because my worlds, be they Taekwondo emergency services or friendships that, that seem to have a lot of people in rank-based structures um, in all those spaces. So the interesting part I found in working in Taekwondo for as long as I did was that lots of Taekwondo people think that they're different to everybody else. They think that as a state sporting organisation, or as a sport, Taekwondo is different to other sports. And there are a lot of structural elements that are very much the same. And and it was my thought with this same concept of of rank and leadership, in Taekwondo, we have a lot of similar issues to emergency services and to what I've seen in military as well. And I thought it would be a good chance to examine all of that and have a look at that. So i called on yourselves as leaders within our sport, within uh, my other fields of scope, to have a look at it together and give me some content to put into my essay, all right? So I thought I'd pick some people of quite senior rank in each of those fields. And interestingly, I've ended up with the four of you who are amazing people. I approached a couple of women to be part of this panel and there was two women and another male presenter who all chose to not have their voice heard in this space. And I thought that was really interesting because it's not that controversial a topic, I didn't think, but there's clearly politics that play in whatever the conversation is about. So I'm really, really appreciative that you're here and for the sake of those in the room and for the sake of those who are listening to the podcast when we eventually get there, we'll now move into some introductions and what I'd like to do first up is to introduce each of you and pose two questions to you. So tell us a little bit about yourselves first and then answer those two questions and then we've got some open questions that we're going to have a discussion about. Is that all right? Yep. Yep. Uh, So... Ki, we'll start with you, uh, Master Kiju Kim or Grandmaster now. Grandmaster. <laughs> Are you used to that title yet? <laughs> Master Kim has just graded in Korea for his eighth den, Kukywon, which I'm sure was an amazing experience. I have absolutely valued um, our friendship since you've been here in Australia and I had the advantage of seeing when we travelled to Korea with you the leadership that comes from you in, in Korea and in Taekwondo here and developing as a, um, a participant here. So tell us, uh, I guess, a little bit of your experience of leadership and and I guess why you chose Australia.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Kiju Kim. Okay, you can call me Master Kim or, or Kim. First of all, I would like to express my sincere gratitude to Katie for having me here. Uh, when I was invited to the forum today, I was deeply troubled. I wasn't born in Australia, so I'm not Australian, and I've never been school in Australia. So I don't speak enough. I don't speak English, and I still don't know a, a lot about Australia. So culture, more law, and more food, work. And more mindedness and others. There are many shortcomings but mm, I will try my best. I've been doing Taekwondo for a long time. Uh, I've been taek, um, doing Taekwondo for 40 years and have been teaching Taekwondo for 23 years. Uh, taekwondo is my life and my pride and my heart. Uh, rather than the Definition of leadership in books or papers. Uh, I'd like to share about what I have been have, have what I have seen and felt and experienced so taekwondo. I started taekwondo with um, my friend's invitation. So and when I become a middle school student, I started taekwondo sparring with the teachers' recommendations. While doing taekwondo, I met Mm-hmm. I met more friends and and I met many people, uh, many people from various regions. Wow. It was a great help in expanding human relationships, and I still keep in touchy and build friendship without uh, hesit- agitations. Mm-hmm. I think Katie knows those part well. Eh? People from Yonhap Taekwondo and I experienced Taekwondo camp in Korea, 2018. Hmm. How was that, Katie?
0: Hmm? It was great. It was a fantastic experience
1: for our club. One of the wonderful friends I got to know through Taekwondo is is Katie. Um, As Katie knows, one of the reasons I came to Australia was for my daughter, three month. Uh, my daughter was very sick, so she had a bone marrow transplant and more than five airways expansion uh, surgeries in Australia. So overall, it was a really difficult and lonely time in Australia. Rather than worrying about treatment at the um, hospital, the hardest part was not being able to communicate properly. I sincerely thanks Kate again for being the first to reach out to me at the time. Okay. So, through Taekwondo, I gained a lot of confidence, uh, experience, and relationships, and had many positions in any group. I always led, lead uh, the meeting as a leader. Always studied, researched with the members and. Try to future develop Taekwondo education. I was taught and emphasize to our student how to greet, how to be polite, how to listen, and how to be considered among the most basic posture need and need to become a leader. As a result, I have many Taekwondo students in Korea, and our trainees have been elected former captain and vice captain at the school for 10, uh, 10 uh, consecutive years.
0: We get that a lot. A lot of that here in Australia, too. Our Taekwondo students <laughs> yeah. become school leaders. Yeah. Uh, and And I think that's wonderful. I celebrate each and every one of them. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Uh, more than forty class captain and vice captain have been elected every year. Uh, there was a rumor that uh, I have to go to the taekwondo club if you want, to, if you want to, your child to be a class captain or <laughs> into <the laughs> our area. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to talk about two type of taekwondo leadership. The first, um, authoritative leadership. Uh, authoritative leadership. Uh, a leader with authoritative leadership tries to handle all tasks according to his own will and doesn't you know, does not, um, accept anything that is different from his own opinion. Such leadership will uh, develop at all and will live in uh, will live in a small space. Secondly, second. Uh, second Leading leadership. Leading leaders uh, set an uh, example for team members in high um, initiative and result. Team members must follow follow in the footsteps of their leader. If team members can't can't keep up, leading leaders uh, lead them together. An authoritative leader says must do. And leading leaders say, "Let us do it." Okay? Now I hope you will demonstrate leading leadership. As you know, Taekwondo is a courtesy sport. Be polite to your opponent, coaches, and referee before and after the game. This is the charm of Taekwondo, and what makes it different from other sports. Because I teach Taekwondo to many people, I always try to be careful with my action. If I teach them with my wrong judgment or words and actions, they will learn wrong action and make a wrong judgment. Uh, Also as mentioned before, Taekwondo allows you to meet many people. Uh, When I came to Australia, no one knew except my family and relatives. However, through Taekwondo, I got to meet Katie and Michael Tan and many people. (laughs) Uh, Other Taekwondo players and my family and committee here. And they have always been kind and warm warm to me. I also try to be a kind and warm person, just like them. I hope you understand a lot if I was a big off topic in today's forum. I hope you have good leadership and lead a lot of good people. Thank you. Okay. Well
0: done. Ah, So it was always going to be a challenge for Key with his language. Having questions a little bit beforehand so you could think about that, that was wonderful and you you prepared really well. You stayed on topic, don't worry, you stayed on topic. And I thought you made a really interesting comment about your personal behaviour and how you thought that was important in how you teach people because they copy you. And and I think in our rank system and in our leadership system, that's one of those things that has certainly come out of the commentary around today is the the issues of rank, and within our sport, people get these ranks, and then all of a sudden we're just we're doing what they they tell us, and sometimes they don't necessarily lead by example, and I find that very challenging. I know even uh, in Army cadets or, or Air Force cadets, where my son was involved, he found it challenging that there were some leaders there who didn't necessarily follow what they preach. And, and to me, that's really vital and very, very important. So we'll move on to our next presenter, which is Michael Tan. And Michael, you are 9th Dan Jitaquan and 8th Dan Kukiwon. So our Taekwondo people will understand all those ranks, um, which means Michael's at the most senior levels in our sport. Um, so Michael, a little bit about, um, about yourself and, and what makes you think you're a leader. We think you're a leader. Why do you think you're a leader? Do you think leadership and rank is a chicken and egg argument, like which comes before the other, or do they link, and styles of leadership that work well for you? Sure.
2: Thank you, Kate, and thanks for having me. A um, bit of a background, I thought I'd start with I, um, our national body, because we always tend to end up back at the NSO. So um, I started in 73, which was the, the year that the ATA, the Australian Taekwondo Association, was, was formed the first national body and the president there was a Ke Young No. And Kyung-no, even though he wasn't the highest ranking person, he 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 led the association for 23 out of the 23 and a half years. So straight away that says a lot about leadership. It was only towards the end, which was around the end of 95, there was a bit of a coup. Um, Grandmaster Sokbong Kim was there for six months and then we, we had unification. So that's a, that's a, a story for another time. How that all fell apart and the the Olympics came in, but um, since that time, so we said twenty three years for one one person, and and, and since then, um, Mr. Young Day Cho, he was the president in in ninety six, and, and he lasted for about six or so six or so years or eight years, a couple of terms, and then, um, Jae Young Kwak, he took over, and he only lasted for a couple of terms. So, and then. From there downwards, it was sort of a one or two term thing before they they were voted out, so to speak, in our democracy. And it was sort of interesting that um, we had this really strong leader who was there for twenty three years. And same with our World Taekwondo Federation, we had a Dr. Aung-Yong Kim, and he was there nineteen seventy three to two thousand and.
0: 2002, Yep, that's about right.
2: I know he had eight terms, eight four year terms, which is an incredible leadership in itself. And then since then, oh, we've had another leader there who's been there just as long, but oh, not as just as long, he's been there since then, Chung Wan Cho. But, um, my sort of thing about the leadership is how do they hold that leadership for so strong for so long? Okay, let's go back just. Briefly diverting, with the, the World Taekwondo Federation, uh, those two gentlemen don't hold a rank in, in our Taekwondo. Um, I think um Yong Kim, the, um, the, the first um, president, he was a, a political diplomat, political science, but he actually may have held a first-damn black belt. And Chong Won Cho, I don't even know if he had a black belt. I was He was the dean of um, Hee University I mean. And, he would know probably more about the background of these people but he may have had a first damn black belt yeah, but definitely no, no high like Chow a Chow, Do you
0: know whether he has ta- Taekwondo black belt?
1: No. Uh, that would be present. Yes. Cho. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Does he personally do Taekwondo uh, or did? I don't know. Don't, I don't think I so. I've never yeah. had a research of that, but
1: I'm pretty yeah. sure he, he, he was in the
2: case. not a question I've ever asked, actually. But he's not like a ninth, tenth, ninth, eighth Dan or yeah. something like that. If anything, it was a very lower Dan okay. and, and just, just training. Um, so, yeah, in, interesting. The the rank and leadership. Um, oh, let's go back to, I guess, our, the NSO where I was. Um, all those people I mentioned had, had high rank. And they and, um, all had different leadership styles. A lot of you don't know Keung No and the, the ATA because that happened after it. He was a nice gentleman. He, um, he sort of, in my opinion, he knew his numbers and that. And he was very diplomatic, but also we had this authoritarian sort of way. And we were, we were sort of, um, it was a, a tight a tight ship. Um Mr Cho, a very friendly person not, but it seemed that the people under him um, had, had the power to, to move
0: where we were going. And and the same with Mr Clark and, and Chong Wan Lee. Yeah. And sport in Australia through that 70s and 80s period yes. has changed a fair bit as Correct. well. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that running a tight ship is, yes. is possibly something that helped with their leadership yes. and the impact that they yeah. had.
2: I mean, it's a different market today, and I've often wondered if you know Kayung No came back, or if he was here today, would it, uh, he wouldn't have the same success or inroads because the, the whole membership base has totally changed, and you know, yeah. even with internet and there's more information. Whereas back in the '70s and '80s,
0: there was no. Um, you could keep uh, a lot of things. Um, we all had to wait patiently to be told about things, well, that's, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. These mean, days we want to know now. Exactly. <laughs> I
2: mean, even towards the end of his reign, it was only that's when fax machines were coming in and there was faxes going everywhere. But outside of that, it was just phone calls and hearsay. Mm.
0: Yeah. So, um, okay, so that was so my... So leadership styles. Yes. Your preference? Do you have a preference? Do you know what kind of leader you are? Do you know what sort of style leader you are?
2: The main thing I take out of leadership is you need the traits you need. So you got, I think, traits and 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 skills, skill sets, you know, like people management, time management, um, vision direction. But you've also got things like honesty, um, and integrity, and and that you know high energy to, to motivate people. And I think those three things are more important. Well, not so much more. Those three things are, Equally as important as your management type type
0: of skills yeah. and. and um Lovely. Yeah. We might explore that a little bit later on because sure. I do have a question about okay. uh, about how values impacts yep. leadership and, and rank. Yeah. Um, so we'll, I'd love to explore that a little bit more sure. when we get down the track there. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Wonderful. Thanks for that. Um, we might move through to Sam. Uh, and Sam McDonald uh, is with us today representing our military fraternity, not currently military,
1: Um, you are still still, military. Still
0: serving. Still serving. There you go. So uh, Sam had what I have said to many people was uh, what I think is possibly one of the coolest job titles in the country um, in a job that he recently held, which was Director of um, National Security Security. Intelligence Operations. That's got to be a fantastically cool job title, right?
3: Cool job title. (laughs) Tough job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tough job. Absolutely. There's a lot of content in there in a role like that. And and uh, I did a course on Monday about intelligence-based decision-making. And uh, we explored a little bit more about what intelligence actually is and how it needs to impact those decisions that we make as leaders. And I found that opportunity really fascinating. So I'm really even more pleased that you're here with us today and can talk to us a little bit about your leadership experience, where you've come from, how that fits with rank and leadership styles for you. Where, where do we go with leadership styles? What's your awareness or preferences?
3: Yeah, thanks, Kate. And thanks all for, for coming today. Uh, I suppose I'll start a little bit to give you a bit more context than just the Director of National Security Intelligence Operations. Uh, which sort of leads to why uh, my style is most probably a bit of chameleon style. I've got 27 years now in military in some way, shape or form, some in regular service and some in reserve service. Overlaying that, I've got uh, 15 years in the public service in uh, Canberra, in the federal government, in operational roles, capability roles, leadership roles and analysis roles. And then on top of that, uh, you know, true, true, to the, true to the people that Kate and others are around me, I'm a community servant as well. Uh, in that uh, I do uh, mentoring, leadership in refereeing for soccer. Uh, I've coached for many years. Uh, do junior, junior sort of um, uh, programs, that sort of stuff. So um, and the father
0: of a taekwondo oh, participant. I am, I am, <laughs> um,
3: and uh, and someone who's a very uh, avid sports lover in whatever sport. Because a love of people just enjoying what they do. And and for my daughter um, Izzy, who uh, uh, some of the people in this room know, um, you know, driving eight hundred k's a week around Cambridge just to achieve training was, was quite a load, but she loved it and she did very well at it. So thanks in, in in large part to Kate's mentoring as a young young lady for her.
0: She left me as a yellow belt and I sent her to Danny Crimin- oh, right. province in yeah. Canberra. She had
3: some of the best mentoring she, she could have got. So in that context, I've been overseas on operations for the military, on operations for federal government, and had a journey uh, over so many different layers of society that that my... As I said, my, my leadership style is a bit, bit um, chameleon-like. There's two things I suppose I wanted to touch on. Firstly, the chicken and the egg question. Rank is a is a construct of the human condition. Okay, we need them to to produce order to how we operate, and it allows us to to do things in a certain structure, which gives us um, confidence and, and, and an arrangement that we can work with. Whereas whereas leadership tends to be a sort of almost a representation of the beauty of humans and, and the way we can inspire and and grow and share experiences with others. And it's really what comes out in organisations, be it in sporting organisations, or, or um, federal and state government organisations, or military, is the fusion of those two constructs. You need a rank structure in certain types of organisations to achieve outcomes. And that builds and fosters the opportunity to develop leadership skills in both a positive and negative way. Some people have skills naturally, and it's fostered through. Some people don't, and fostered through in positive outcome. And some people chase it because that is a. They think that's an outcome of the rank structure, um, and I think we'll we'll touch on that all, all the way through today. Uh, but yeah, so I think the chicken and egg is not so much that it's they're two different things that fuse together for for an outcome, and they sh- they form in different ways for different organizational requirements um, at the community level all the way through the very 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 hierarchical sort of. Uh, military or then organisational commercial. My leadership leadership style is very chameleon, uh, but one thing I live and die by is that capability starts with people and without people I've got no capability. It doesn't matter how much AI you have, it doesn't matter how many technological um, advancements you have. In the end, there's still got to be a person in the room to lead or to be be led by, and unless you care for the people, you're sort of missing the boat here. Uh, and leadership is very much about that the, the person. So everything I do comes back to what's my effect on the people I'm leading. To to Master Kim's comment, you know, um, that leading leadership as opposed to authoritarian leadership is straight to that human side of, of, mm. of it. Not 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 the authoritarian side, despite the fact of being military. By rights I should think about the authoritarian, but I don't. And to your last question, what do I think? Why do I think uh, I'm a leader? Uh, I, I don't think I'm a leader. I just think I'm me. And if people see presence and value, and aspire to be similar to or to follow the things that I do, or to, to take my direction, then I'm very happy with that. But it's not. It doesn't drive me. And that's the question of motivation piece for who or how rank and leadership plays out. I think that there's an element of humility. And again, to Master Kim's point, you know, you said you don't speak English. Well, I understood everything you said, and thank you very much for your time and the effort to prepare that. Um, your humility to come forward and show the leadership, to put yourself out there and, and, and be vulnerable, for me, is leadership in its own right. So,
0: I see an enormous amount of humility in Master Kim, and um, his leadership beyond that is, is uh, I think, inspiring. Because of that humility, um, people aren't sort of seeing him as a standout, show yourself kind of person, but he's leading naturally. And and that's something that I see in all of you, actually, which is really good. In these structured conversations, uh, having... Um, Learned a little bit how to do these kind of things, including learning from the best. It's important to have a couple of quotes there that you can drop into the conversation. And one of those that Sam has touched on is a quote from Peter Drucker, which says, the only definition of a leader is someone who has followers. So our leadership is reliant on, on on people following us. And as Taekwondo instructors, that happens when they walk into our hall and they start doing what we tell them because we're teaching them skills and and the martial art. Um, But the martial art uh, has more to it than just what we teach on the floor. And that's that example that we provide people in our behavior on top of everything else. And I see that in all these other organizations with those rank structures too. And I love Sam touched on one of my other quotes, uh, which was from Warren Bennis, uh, which says leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. And I think that's important, too, because it's more than just mechanical. It is, a, there is an art form to leadership. That's a lovely segue to our next panellist, which is Andrew Short, who's the Assistant Commissioner of the State Emergency Service. And another one of my quotes that I have here from John Maxwell, which says, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And Andrew does a fantastic podcast series called Influence Me. Uh, which I have found very inspiring. So over to you, leadership, the expert.
4: That's unfair <laughs> and wrong <laughs> and wrong probably.
0: Um, I, I'm here to poke the bear. No, yeah, I, know, I know you are <laughs>
4: and, and you might get a, a reaction to that, which you did. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the opportunity to be uh, here with the other panellists. I actually accepted this opportunity as more of a learning opportunity. As, as opposed to a teaching opportunity. Like Sam, uh, you know, got brought up in a hierarchical world where bling and, you know, rank markings and medals and patches and everything would dominate the thinking and the choices that people took on how they would operate within that world. And certainly for junior people, you know, that that's that's just something they've got to do. And I th- and there is very much a benefit to people being able to understand how to follow an instruction and which is really important because when they get further down the road where they take on uh um, initial leadership opportunities and of course we could talk about formal leadership then we could talk about informal leadership which is regardless of rank but i I have i am i I am a believer that if you um, haven't uh, learned followership um, then you're going to have trouble with uh, leadership and so uh Going that, true, yeah. Going from going from that hierarchical uh, upbringing, uh, getting to a point, and I'll and I'll be pretty frank and, and raw here. Uh, get, getting to a point where I actually started to question whether I belonged uh, because a cookie cutter mentality in terms of what what the organisation at that point in time it appeared to be wanting from its leaders, which was you know people who are strong, directive, uh, you know, get the job done. Uh, well, uh, for me, I, I think I needed more than that. And I think my journey uh, since then um, has been uh, has been representative of that. Um, so I, I'm still learning and uh, probably a person who will learn uh, right through to the, you know, wherever, wherever the train um, uh, finishes for me or train whichever last station it comes into. I do love observing and I think that was the, uh, what was attractive to me was sitting with uh, three other individuals who've all got a really important story to tell and, Understanding whether I can learn something from that, and and share and then and, and then take that on and, and share that with um with others, so I'm a big lover of observing. And uh, the word values has been brought up. And if I put myself into a certain sh- uh, shape as a leader, um, it would be clearly be a, a values based leader, which is really easy to say. Uh, mm-hmm. but when you get into it, uh, there's lots of complexity about that. Um, values by the nature tend to be a bit more subjective, um, as opposed to a hierarchical rule book. So you get a bit of variation. Even if, you know, two people who use the same value might be, um, you know, loyalty as value. Um, And you get two two leaders who express it differently, even though they're talking about the one value. So it's quite an interesting thing. Uh, But uh, but coming back to where I started, Kate, it's just just great to be here. You get to a point where you realise you're coming to the end well, you've been you know, you've been through most of your journey and it becomes a lot more about uh, the people that come behind you and so I'm really quite interested in investing myself into uh, others and maybe the you know the podcast series is an example of me trying to uh, leave legacy uh, for others so they don't have to fall into sure. the same potholes that I've fallen into and, and many of the leaders that I, I've interviewed so thanks for having me no worries at all it
0: is my pleasure to have all four of you here for this conversation and that leads well into one of my open questions that i wanted to put to the table even though it's probably more relevant to andrew and sam i can certainly see relevancies for michael and master kim as well most taekwondo leaders are volunteers and they're also club owners So when it comes to the sports side, we're very much volunteers. We go and coach, we go and referee, we do all those kind of things. Most of our club owners are running a little micro business, or in some cases, quite a large business. We have quite a number of um, significant taekwondo clubs around the country where it is their full-time job. Whereas military leaders and emergency services leaders are paid to be in their roles. So how does leadership change or does it change if it's your job compared to being your passion or your volunteering opportunity? Does your leadership style or the skills you need change as a volunteer compared to an employee?
2: I might as well, if you're lucky at me. Look, look, in what generally happens for those who aren't in the, the taekwondo world um, is you're sort of, you're sort of thrown in there as your obligation. It's a bit like community service. You feel an obligation that we all get together with, as Kate said, we've all got our own clubs or you know, private businesses, but then someone's got to lead this private business because of sport, otherwise we don't have sport. We can all just go into our own little private businesses and don't talk to anyone. But we all want to get together for this thing called sport, where we compete against each other. And like the community football or so, the only way it happens is with a great deal of volunteers and maybe one or two at the top trying to trying to keep this thing keep this thing corral going. everybody, corral everyone to go. And everyone's got their own views, and I don't have to be here and, and things like that. So it's a very complex thing, as opposed to like a maybe a. a, 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 a a government organisation where you're paid and you have to, this is a job, whereas this here is, well, I don't have to be there. Um, that's been the hardest thing. And uh, the complex thing about it is whilst rank is important and, and and in some ways the rank is good, maybe like the military where people start to listen or at least you get a foot in the door to people opening their ears, but at some point that team seems to go away and say, well, You can't tell me what to what to do and all that Mm. and and Kate's been in the in the in the position and several others have where you're just hitting your head against the wall because the minority the the majority are good but there's a minority that just want to have their say or be non-compliant and and, um sort of really slow it down and then you as a honest volunteer you you came to you know give your time away and say well why should i yeah, And, and right. so we get this spiral everything down instead of a spiralling sort of up where everyone mm-hmm. wants to get involved and everyone wants to do it.
0: And I think within Taekwondo, we naturally look to our higher ranked people yes. um, for that leadership, for that drive to corral everybody and pull yes. things together. And, and sometimes that doesn't happen. And I find that quite challenging. And sometimes it, it, it comes together really well. Yes. Uh, and it's wonderful. It's, it, it's a bit haphazard, isn't yeah. it? And and how does that compare to um, the leaders who are paid to be there? It's part of their job. Did they get the job because they were leaders or did rank? And I've found that in emergency services, there's some roles that come with rank. I'm sure the military is the same in that respect. And and when people get that high rank, and some people get that by being there a long time, um, and it's not, and their skills are still developing in how they communicate with people. I, I think that a lot of the world operations comes back to communication. How do we talk to people? How do we get people to follow us? It is all about that communication.
4: Yeah? And there's a there's a big nature versus nurture in yeah. here. In here you know, yes. And, and this whole debate about natural leaders versus... Uh, learned mm. leadership, which I don't think we'll ever get to the truth because I think it's uh, such a mixed bag depending on uh, who you're talking about. There have been some mm. incredibly natural leaders through history and, um, you know, right back to, you know, I'll, I'll use Alexander the Great because I actually named <laughs> my son after him, um, but you know, clearly a person who uh, people would follow. Yep. And so I, I would imagine and... Uh, you know, you have to research this. If you went in and researched that, you'd find out that he was an incredibly good communicator. He was uh, incredibly good, probably, being consistent with his people and about expectations, and and, and probably people just liked him too. Yep. So there's so many um, you know, elements to this, and uh, and I think going to the point which you know, Michael ventured into, which is the, the volunteer versus uh, you know paid. Um, I think the longer I go along, the more I probably understand that the difference is not as big as we think it might be in that you're still a person who is trying to influence um, a, a group of people and it's it becomes that simple. And the ones who can influence better don't have to draw on formal authority very often. Um, they, they need to have that tool in the toolkit and be quite uh, confident to actually provide, you know, to utilise Authority when they need to but it's got to be by exception yeah. and I think that for me and I'm a person who's gone from uh, working in part of emergency services which is very structured uh, you know paid paid employment uh, lots of doctrine lots of rules to a volunteer environment where even though you've got the same overlays of rules and doctrine uh, clearly the business runs on relationships
0: Yeah, so that's a really good insight, given that you've come from that that fire and rescue space where the people you're leading are paid employees, as opposed to now in state emergency service, where a lot of the people you're leading are volunteers. And as Michael said, they sometimes stand back on their heels and go, well, I actually don't need to be here. So the leadership observations there, I think, are really important.
4: And as much as I'm not saying this to say that we've got volunteers to burn, because whether it's Sport or emergency services, uh, you know, we've got a bit of a volunteering crisis happening. We know that as a as, oh. a, as a nation, and I think we'd we'll, all agree um, that one. Yeah, yeah. we never so, have enough volunteers. So, the question becomes: Do we uh, jettison volunteers mm. who are clearly outside the uh, the circle or the framework? And and uh, and I don't think you. Have, you act too quick on that, but sometimes it comes to a point where if a volunteer says, "Well, I don't need to be here," or whatever, where well, you say, "Well, maybe you don't need to be here," because the the mm-hmm. effect is so profound on the group that you know they they can become an anchor, like a sea um, anchor or a, a weight that that pulls the whole group down. And I know that that's one of the things in volunteering world that uh, other volunteers who who are there for the right reasons, just sort of get on with it, it really frustrates them. So I know that it frustrates the, the, the leadership and also frustrates the actual, you know, cohort more more broadly. And yeah. I, I don't have the answer, but um, sometimes you do have to be, you know, use a bit of tough
3: love for these people. To, to that point, Andrew, um, the skills you talk about, Kate, in terms of the differences, you know, um, let's go back a little bit to the organisational structures and why people would come into those things. In a volunteer organisation or even <coughs> even further back, why someone started doing a sport is uh, usually self-interest they're interested in the sport, they want to be good at it um, or it's going to provide them an opportunity. Um, they don't do it for the leadership necessarily. Some people might be motivated over the long term, but as a six-year-old, generally not. It's, 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 it's true. true. It, is, it is purist and altruistic and, and there's nothing more to it. Um, those that go into organisations, military, emergency services, there is paid employment. It might be altruistic in terms of the national service. It might be Purely and simply to chase a particular skill set that they're interested in doing, that they know that organisation does, uh, might be, might be economic. They know mm-hmm. that's a firm, sound employment for a, for a long, long time. Um, but the structures of those two things provide different opportunities to learn different skills. When you get to a size of organisation, when the leadership is really required, is part of the challenge. And in, in emergency services and military and otherwise, they're already at a big size so as a big. Uh, companies and whatever else. So there's a need for a hierarchy and architecture to manage that. So there's a natural leadership development for some. Some will never get through it. Some will get through it even though they don't have the skills, the old Dilbert and Peter theorems, so to speak. Um, in a community organisation, the size gets to a point where it's, it's absolutely needed and usually hasn't been developed in the same way. It's far more organic. It's reliant on individual personalities. And then when you get the, the, the person coming in who's the uh, protagonist or doesn't fit with the mix, where do the skills come from to deal with that? Um, because the motivators to stay, and then you talk about the crisis in volunteering, part of the motivators to stay are really undermined straight away by that catastrophic uh, event of being a person that comes in that just doesn't fit with it and how do you do it? And then you've got to, you've got to somehow develop an organisation organically to then be a business, a micro business or a major business and go through what? Uh, small, medium enterprise does as a natural commercial process, you're doing that in a process that doesn't have architecture, doesn't have legal frameworks, doesn't have workplace relations, It doesn't have an ability to say, I'm sorry, you don't meet the ethos of this facility. It's, it's, it's a fraught environment. I, I, I have to lord those people who do stay so long in the volunteering and, and community space just how tough a leadership challenge it is because you don't have the levers to pull and you don't have the same population to work with
0: yeah and i think in in our sport there's a lot of volunteers there who've been there a long time they've got the technical skills they absolutely know their roles and the tasks they do whether that's at competitions or in other spaces Um, and and then some of them get to this point where they're kind of like i don't need to be here anymore Um, and then we as instructors have to deal with that because ultimately they're volunteers in our organisation. Maybe passing through to Michael and, and Master Kim, if you've had an experience at all where you've had a, a volunteer who was a leader in the volunteering space because of their experience, that then started to wear out or burn out. How do we deal with that in and maintain that leadership within the volunteering area?
2: Oh, yeah, I think it always happens when we're, because um, we're so short, limited amount of volunteers and you know, we, we, we get jaded or, or cooked or, or burnt. Um, and I, when I see that happen, I, I think most of it is, one is they've for some reason been disrespected by somebody or, or nobody and, and they've not been heard and it's not been recognised and, and some of these volunteers have been there for decades and I, I think as an organisation... Um, we don't pay tribute to them as much as we do. I think in terms of life members, we only have a handful, yeah. <laughs> which is appalling. And in uh, even less, I think, at our national body level, I think we've only got two or three.
0: So are or, they the middle management leadership within our organisation? Do we, as the instructors, lead our volunteers who are the leaders of our events and participants? And do we support them enough?
2: I don't think we support them enough in terms of, It's a thankless job. Um, We need to one is recognise them, and also sort of help support them when when there's some confrontations. It seems that sometimes our our bodies don't want to know about it when two people or several people
0: um, have um, yeah these conflicts. So is that uh, respect, communications and respect? So we're listening to them. We demonstrate that by be, by respectfully acknowledging their skills and experience. Is that what we need to do?
2: I think we need to do it, and I don't think we do it enough in that this is where rank comes in. It seems that if you're a lower rank, you uh, you don't get that respect than a higher rank if it's the same situation. I mean, Taekwondo appears the same as, like, the military. It is very much a hierarchical rank um, as Okay, and others know it is when you were describing it I think well this is a taekwondo organization it's very much this rank and how many stripes you got well we put stripes here and 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 different colored jackets and that
0: yeah and and it's interesting from from my experience in taekwondo when I came into the paid employment role in taekwondo the constitutions or the rules of our organization said the only people who could vote or have a say were those ranked fourth down above. And that's interesting from that point of view, because that was only instructors and only head instructors for that matter. And Queensland, um, I think, had very uh, innovative leadership as an organisation and we gradually dropped that down to 1st stand in our constitution. And then we removed it from our constitution, which meant that everybody who took part in the sport got to have a say in the organisation. And I know there are, um, in amongst the mergers that have happened in in our sport nationally, there are some states that were not only looking at fourth Dan as the voting membership, they were looking at taking it up to sixth Dan so that only those ranked sixth Dan and above could vote. And that brings it to a very elite-based organisation. How do we hear the voices of our volunteers in that space? How do we hear the voices of the parents of our participants in that space. And, and is rank really important in that communication within the organisation? Is it that important that we have to only listen to those people? And I think in some things maybe, but in a lot, I think we need that better communication. We need to listen to everybody in our organisation. And then maybe the rank based leaders can, can understand better. The structure of the organization does that make sense
2: yeah in in taekwondo it's a it's a it's a little bit funny in terms of rank i mean rank sort of gives this perception of knowledge or like the elder statesman but in taekwondo well first thing is when someone says this is your rank you are eighth,
0: seventh down, whatever. Well, the, we got two brand new fifth ends joining us here. So the first question that everyone
2: asks <laughs> in the Taekwondo world is, what certificate?
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> no. but that's, that's so true, cool isn't it? Is it your club certificate? And hang on. So we've got this for people outside of Taekwondo. Someone says it's an eighth dan It's it's like different currencies. And one might be worth more than the others, or this perceived value.
4: Is that is that part of the thing that people in ask that question, at what type it is, is that that person trying to, yeah, yeah, to see where the, they where correct. fits in the
2: hierarchy. Or, it, or where do you fit yeah, in the hierarchy? Yeah. Are you higher know, or lower? This, this is very much in, in <laughs> Taubondo and even in society where it's the junior, senior. So they're trying to gauge where you are. Well, the other way is they'll ask you how old you are because in, in, in Korea mm-hmm. and that age is very, very important. And and that's this elder statesman sort of thing.
0: And, and that was really insightful yes. to me in our trip to Korea mm. when we went there and... Uh, I had the great privilege, Master Kim, of meeting many of your cohort in Korea, and he would introduce uh, me and say they were my junior or they were my senior, and I met some amazingly high-level people thanks to your uh, network in Korea. So do you think that that rank, important high-level people, um, your junior, you um, where does respect and and communication fit with that in Korean society? <laughs> if that message has gotten through the language. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so what is junior and senior? It's mm. not necessarily rank, is it?
1: Mm. Who, who is your junior? His junior is almost his um, primary school and in my school. Mm. Uh, in middle school. Junior is and middle school. Now it's m seventeen ten nine. Uh, seven and uh, seven years. Uh, year seven and year nine yes. in the school. Middle school. The yeah, high school <laughs> in year ten and um, twelve. Mm about yeah, um, uh computer the taekwondo in taekwondo. Yeah. And so um, is uh as you know the taekwondo is a um Certificate is uh, um, under 15 is PUM mm-hmm. Certificate, yeah, so on over 15, mm-hmm. over 15 is Dan certificate.
0: Here, here in Australia, we still have connection to the Kwan's, Kwon. so Quan so Michael and I both connect with Jida Quan.
1: Uh, yeah. Jida yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but Kwan's not so important in Korea now, just yeah. on
1: Yeah, no, just on. Just yeah, one, yeah.
0: yeah, I found that very interesting that we still connect with that here and we actually find that very important in Australia, I feel, or maybe that's just the Jitakon collect Collective.
2: Oh, each Kwan have their own collective. It, it's more for those outside of Taekwondo. This was before we had this one or World Taekwondo where they all unify back in I think 59. 70s. or 50-something oh, they actually unified, but before they unified they had various Club, Quan, we call it, and then they all unified. And part of that unification was an agreement that we're not going to actually sort of issue out our own dance certificates. We're just going to have the one, the one central currency sort of thing. So they, but they still sort of kept issuing out their certificates more as like a, a society sort of thing or a, as a... Um, yeah, yeah, but it, it, the official one
0: was a one certificate. And now that's the only one in Korea. Whereas yes. we still receive yep. those yes. school certificates Correct. here so in Australia.
2: It might be oh. like the euro, yeah we all say we're going to have one currency, but we've still got a bit of currency around like
1: that. A yeah. long time ago, too many is guan. guan, Changdokuan, guan, too many guans. And now it's included in Kukkiwan. Mm. Yes. Now in Korea, all that is in... Um, well, the, uh, Kukyuan is all manager manager in the taekwondo club in yep. the Korean nation. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it was interesting with Australian taekwondo doing the Kukyuan course yes. in Sydney um, earlier this year. The focus is is very much rank there, isn't it?
2: Yes, it was. Um, yeah.
0: We had some amazingly senior people and very talented people running that course, but there was clear rank. And in the room, we had the most senior instructors in the country and I felt there was a lot of respect for rank and it was really managed quite well at that course and I think some of those people of high rank demonstrated great leadership skills in how they communicated with the people around them within the room. Yeah. Um, and how they listened. And how they listened. Um, I think that communication and listening was, was obvious to me at that course um, and that became really important.
2: Yeah, because I went to the same course, and I I think what and I noticed the same thing. And and what I made the assumption was that um, we've got these very high ranks of eighth dan, seventh dan, there was one one ninth dan, but we're all getting on in age of you know fifty something plus sixty, somewhere even seventy. John the boss was seventy two, and I think with age comes a bit more of this humility. The same person, because I don't remember when I was younger, but the same person back when they were 30 or 40 would be a different person to they are now. So that's one pleasing thing as we yeah. get up higher in these ranks, the humility sort of comes in and, and yeah, okay, you can go first. It, it doesn't matter as much, you know, yeah. like for example, we were all standing in line, you know, and we're standing in rank order and, and, it, was rank order and, and it was virtually someone's, oh, you know, well, show me yours, show, show me yours, when, <laughs> when, when, what day was your grady? what day was mine. I'll just stand over here because I'm just happy over here because my friends are over here. I don't have to yeah. stand up here. And you could see some of them where it was really important where they they stood and others were just wherever sort of thing. Yeah. But that more showed the person as opposed to. And, and that was an interesting rule at, at the Cookie One course. Even though the, the memo didn't get out to everyone, they said you shouldn't have stripes. And they were yes. touching on none of this yeah Just that was really in interesting
0: once we all got in the room yeah. we were all supposed to have a blank belt with yeah. no stripes on so people yeah. couldn't tell but yeah we were still expected to stand in rank order yeah, rank order but <laughs> in, in korea like stripes aren't really used stripes like, on you know, belts the, on in korea belts. yeah yeah no, no stripes? So really used stripes? stripes stripes on belts in korea yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah but yeah.
2: generally in courses over there like well master arm, um, yeah they had a plain belt and yes. the other black belts, they had plain, bl- plain belts with just their name on it. So. Mm. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and, yeah, we know those those ranks that we achieve in Taekwondo, yeah. um, just like ranks in other organisations, um, come through pain and suffering um, and a lot of work. And as I mentioned, we've got a couple of new fifth ends in the room today mm. and they graded yesterday and their grading was really impressive. And what Michael said um, earlier about us all getting a little bit older, there's no way I could do these days what they could do yesterday but we've all been there and we've all done our gradings in our time and done the work to get
3: there K, K, if I may, just on the, the commentary about you know that difference between the the, the one quons and co and andrew you might laugh at this one is is the um uh we don't talk about rank in terms of um services but if you get uh, in a room for a, a governance meeting or otherwise different services you know SES and no, military know. and whatever else. And we're all yeah. the same rank. Yes. But ironically, just like the the quons of the world, yeah. suddenly there's this, this rank order. Well, you're a military brigadier as opposed to a... A one-star SES in the public service. You've got that in
0: Brian Cox uh, at work, who's very high up in military and not quite as high up in SES. So that must be an interesting balance for him as well. And something
3: I've I've certainly so I got fairly senior in public service, but from a military perspective, I'm fairly technically still fairly Mm. low level. Um, But interesting, the two things that come to mind are role and Mm. and and circumstance. And when it comes to the role. when you've got the right person in the right rank in the right role, they know what they're doing and it, and it makes a real difference. And we don't talk about rank and rank and leadership in a role yeah. scenario in, this, in what we're talking about today, which is yeah. ironic because, for me, the role and the function of what you're trying to achieve will bring in different levels of leadership skills and styles that you need. And there's some roles that just aren't fitted, suited to some people, even though they're awesome leaders. Mm-hmm. But they not be, may not be technical or otherwise. Um, okay, what's really interesting is and I think some
4: organisations, whether it be government, military, sporting associations, the history of people who are technically very good being moved up on on the basis of their extremely good technical skills. And I've come to know that that, you pay a price for that because the skill set that they had that made them very good at that technical level does not necessarily, you know, turn into uh, someone who can lead well at a, at a senior level. And it reminds me of a, a, a book which was written by, a, I don't know who it was, but it was a senior military leader who wrote a book titled uh, Don't Be a Part-Time Jet Fighter Pilot, meaning that when you become a senior person, whatever you do, don't don't keep thinking that, you know, how, how things all happen you know, technically all, all the way through the organisation because if you start doing that, people I oh, think you're a control freak or a micromanager and you've got, to let, you've got to be willing to let go and then trust trust people. And some senior people really have a problem with that, you know, because of either their ego wanting to be protected, don't want to be seen to be not running a tight ship or, you know, or whatever. I think that would apply probably in sporting associations. Uh, and, and I should disclose uh you know my earlier life was um, competitive swimming, so uh, yeah, I grew up in a family heavily involved in competitive swimming, and all the things we're talking about here uh, applied. And you've basketball yeah. connection, uh, yes, yeah, and years, then too. A, a more recent year's basketball, and it's the same. It's the same stuff. So um, it's I find it really interesting. This, 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 uh, and it is I think more art than science. This move from being a a very good technical operator to a uh, senior leader is a a jump that some can make, uh, but a jump that some cannot make. Mm. Mm. Now, the other thing I'll say, Kate, is that when when I find myself in these discussions, I, I think I find myself going back and looking at the aviation industry about some of the changes they had to make about when total power and authority would end up in very bad things happening. And I'm talking about the a um, you know, commercial airliner, uh, you know, driving into a side of the mountain where uh, other crew members knew that something was wrong, but did not express that to the uh, to the captain or the, you know, the, the, the senior uh, people on the plane. And, and I think there's been a lot of good things have happened, probably in Maritime as well, where everyone gets to call out a safety issue, regardless of level. Uh, and just to bring things to the attention. And that comes to the risk. A junior person challenging a senior person, uh, I can only imagine what, what's going through their, you know, through their head in terms of fear and, uh, and trepidation of mm. uh, you know, not wanting to embarrass this senior person. But I've seen too many examples of younger leaders who have got the courage to do that who, who end up being appreciated by the senior leader because they actually help them stop Something really bad happening, and I mean, I'm not. I know that commercial airline is an extreme example, but the same principles apply in a project team, in a sporting association.
0: Yes. That
4: the worst thing that can happen is when something goes really wrong, and a lot of people go, "Oh, I knew I'm that sure. was going to happen." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one, yeah. no one. <laughs> no one puts no, their hands up, and yeah. you, go, you know what? what? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So yeah, and that yeah comes back to. How we exercise authority and power. Why
0: why were those junior-ranked people afraid to communicate with their senior-ranked people? Um, Where was the leadership of the senior-ranked people that they couldn't accept that Um, to the point where something critical went wrong? Yeah, I think it's all got to work together. All right. Um, let's let's keep that going. And and now we've got uh, Master Kim's headed off to run a taekwondo class in preparation for the Gold Coast Open next weekend. And uh, that's a competition that uh, Michael Tan here used to run for many many years, and I'll has recently. This, uh, next week, yeah. Yeah, recently handed over. So in, uh, and just talking with some of the others in the room here, mentioned health because we have a director within Queensland Health here as well. And uh, of course, health have hierarchy within their system as well. And, And we talked about it being, in the organisation. And one of the quotes here I've got is from Forbes, which is leadership has nothing to do with one's seniority or one's position in the hierarchy of a company. Uh, Too many talk about a company's leadership, referring to the senior most executive in that organisation. They are just that, senior executives. Leadership doesn't automatically happen when you reach a certain pay grade. Hopefully you find it there, but there are no guarantees.
3: Thoughts, gentlemen? I'm going to jump straight on that one and say, Elon Musk, in terms of leadership or not leadership, as a, a really prime example of someone who has, has his own thoughts as to how leadership operates and how organisational outcomes are achieved, um, whether they're the same as what 95% of the population in the world believe is leadership is a different, different
0: question. And sometimes organisational leadership is perceived by that person at the head who comes in with big statements and directs things to happen. Elon Musk sends little miniature submarines to rescue children in Taiwan, which didn't work out so well. There were other people who had opinions about how all that was going to work. There are, of course, leaders who were not liked, as we said, sometimes you're not popular. The the most famous one, of course, in that is that um, Hitler made the cover of, of Time Magazine as Man of the Year. Caused the most devastating traumas in the whole of history, but was he a leader? What was his rank within the
4: within Germany at the time? He, he was. It's interesting. Know, I'm not going to spend time too much. Too yeah, much we time won't on him. But give too much oxygen on. to that part. <laughs> but but if you start to kind of poke in and, and look at it from different angles, you'd ask the question: Well, was he charismatic? And you probably get the answer: yeah, Yes, he was, and that mm. was part of the, um, part of the way he would enact his um, you know, evil you know, evil actions. But, uh, but yeah, some of the things can be used for good and they can be used for bad. And I think he's probably a prime example.
0: Do we need to limit communications to have that influence when it's not such a positive influence? Like we talked before about communication being important and open communication and being able to listen to those at the, the perceived lower levels of an organisation. I'm pretty sure those who are in that dictatorial space limit communications to what they
4: want to hear. Uh, How do you mean? Do you mean the actual senior person limiting
0: it? Yeah, both. Both. Sometimes as both as working within Taekwondo Queensland back in the previous days prior to the merge and to a certain extent within my own club in different times, there's a limit of communication. Sometimes people tell you what they think you want to hear and sometimes you've got people who will only allow you to hear Certain
4: so, so we're talking about control. Is that
0: yeah, you? yeah. Is is control an impact on on leaders being able to have the the capability to do their role effectively? Oh
2: yeah, I think very much so. Like um, a lot of the the leaders in. It's like, well, yeah. One thing I'd say is you only get half a story, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And a lot of the time, what what they preach is, well, this is not the whole full story. If you if you know some of the the background with it, um, and I think that is, you're right. Like in those early days of the uh, the ATA, as I mentioned before, there was no communication. We didn't have social media. We were, Faxes only came in in the sort of that middle ninety period, and was a, a lot of it was hearsay, and a lot of it wasn't correct. There was a lot of interference happening, and I, I think that helped the legacy or how long they were in power for because they had this control of information and people, whether it's fear or or, or what have you, they they would um they would control and anyone who was um or something like that, they would soon get get rid of them sort of thing. So you, you look at the, the history of uh, the, the ATA and anyone who put their hand up to challenge the, uh, the authority or whatever, suddenly they're not around next year. Oh, they've left. Oh, and even you know, um, um, Grandmaster Cho, Grandmaster Sung Su Lee and all that, they all left. So you've got to ask them, you know, personally ask them, why did you leave? But they were all, everyone was in the ATA at one point. Yeah. And, and yeah, some of
0: them challenged for the, the top job and it was sort of like the, the loser leaves town. And, and it's very challenging. So is, is, it the sk- is it one of those leadership skills, the ability, because some of this is about defining the leadership skills that help rank do its job. So is it a skill there in amongst those leaders that they can quickly get the whole picture? They can use intelligence to gain the whole story, because our decisions are only as good as the intelligence we're working with, aren't they? So how do we as leaders do that? How do we get the intelligence we need? How do we trust the intelligence that we have to make our decisions the right way? And is that to do with the people we have or is that to do with pulling
4: rank? The, The more senior you get... If you're not clear about the the vision and the mission or the the big objective of why we're here, uh, that's where things can go astray. So I think my my experience has been the be- the better leaders I've seen, both in uh, you know large organisations or in a you know, small PCYC um, volunteer you know cohort, are the ones who are very clear about the purpose of what, and therefore are able to you know every uh, decision every uh, analysis or um you know dig into a problem is always the context is always uh how can we improve this to improve our purpose or this thing we're trying to achieve and i think if you can stay really clear on the why i think that's the in you know, recent years that's been the big that the, the word that if you're you, know, if you if you're really clear on the why then you actually can move pretty quickly around the what and when and all that sort of stuff, which uh, which is a, a secondary or third level um, uh, priority, but it's a why. Whether it be a, a martial arts um, association or an emergency service or a military force, it's the same thing. Agree. And I think that my experience has been when, the, when that focus falls away, that's when other less important principles start to... Uh, get stronger, and an example of that might be in some sectors. You know, there's a real problem with entitlement, and and in government, in some sectors, it's all about the uh, what am I going to get paid for that, or what am I what allowance am I going to get for that? And I think it would express probably in a sporting association too. It's about well, what you know what what rank title are you going to give me you know, if I do this, and including how many stripes do I have on this or that. Mm. Um, yeah, it's so easy to lose uh, lo- lose track
3: of the of the important stuff. Yeah, yeah Andrew, so you were going to say something. I uh, well, actually wasn't, but you, you touched on one of the, my key points. So, um, before this sort of discussion, I wrote down two things, which was the essence of leadership and the essence of rank, and sort of tried to, rather than going back to textbooks and saying, "Oh, this is what textbooks define," I said, well, "What do I define these two things as?" Um, and and for me, your point about thought and clarity of thought was actually my first dot point on the essence of leadership. The ability to have clear thought, not necessarily speed to that thought but the ability to go through and process and distill the clarity of what it is we're trying to achieve um, is key to that. Empathy was the second thing um, and that's empathy for people and if the circumstances it's not always just about the people. Um, And then bringing that back to people, more the communication skills, how do you actually convey the message you need, um, but Kate, to the point you made before in terms of that um, uh, enabling others, it's risk management, and it's tolerance to empower others to actually accept the fact that even though you're in a leadership role, they're going to make decisions that you have to you have to absorb, and it's a it's a no it's a no blame fail safe environment, and that's a that's that is an art and a tolerance and an internal piece that is very that's very hard for people to do. And the more hierarchy there exists in organisations, often you you get less and less confidence with some of the people who get into those rank positions who are willing to enable their staff at different ranks to actually have that, uh, make decisions and make mistakes because they're not willing to accept the consequences.
0: I think it's the same in a taekwondo club too. Um, We, as senior instructors rely on our other instructors to make decisions and to teach things and to do things. And and our club is a little bit different. In Yunhap we're a little bit different to some of the other clubs around the place because we are a, a not-for-profit club and um, we have an elected committee um, as opposed to an instructor who owns the business. I've tried to encourage lots of decision-making outside of me and I think that's really important. And our club a couple of years ago went through some structural change, which means that we've now got a lot of people developing into new roles and we're trying to get some of our younger ones through, not even just our instructors who are here today, but some of our younger participants and black belts coming through in decision-making leadership-type roles. I like to think that we as the UNHAP instructors are providing a really good example for them in in those in that decision making and in learning to lead so us as a club are in a process of teaching people to lead because I want to have a legacy in our club I want our club to outlive me by a long shot and and that's where People like these guys are really important and our new leaders coming through are really important because they're the future. They're our future leaders and they're getting up in rank. And I want them to have those skills that parallel each other there. I've got one more question to put to you before we open the floor up, but yeah, by all means Sam. One more point,
3: and that was the one that I was missing, and that's presence. Okay. And when I say presence, it's not about the empathy particularly, it's not about the communi- it does allude to the communication skills. But the presence under pressure or the presence of your person and your leadership when someone fails and how you shift that to adapt to the situation, because some people have a, uh, enabling an enabling and an exciting presence, some people have an authoritarian presence, um, some people have a reflective and supportive presence. A leader that is able to span those and actually select their presence and actually project that. At different times, is 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 a empowering, empowering, inspiring leader, and that's the one thing I don't th- don't think you can teach. It, is, it just is what it is, but it isn't necessarily a a thought or a empathy or a communication skill. It's just there's there's a there's an aura about it, uh, and and you do learn it over time to a degree, but it's you can't define it. And, and I've been on that sort of
4: j- journey of trying to. Get, get into a, a box or a, you know, a boundary uh, you know what what is it that I'm looking for
2: in leaders and it's little one things that you can't pinpoint but they do something and that yes. just has this chain reaction by how they do something or their
4: their manner or body language yeah I know what you mean it is this box so I've ended up uh, cu- uh, coming to two words and that is that uh, I look for leaders to be able to demonstrate strength when they need to. And then I look for them to be able to demonstrate warmth. So, so those two things can be polar opposites sometimes. Yep. Uh, but I've seen leaders who can do both. And for me, they're the ones who are most likely going to be successful because they, they maintain a, a real focus on outcome or task, but they won't do it to the detriment or um, collateral damage of people. So, it's a real, you know, it's a real tough thing. And, and a pl- a plug here now, Kate. Um, you know, I, I, wrote, I wrote a paper which was titled um, "Striking the Balance," and uh, and you, you can find that um, paper on LinkedIn if you if you go looking for it you know, through me or through my my homepage there. And it's interesting. I, I was write, I could write that article a year ago, but I couldn't have written it five years ago. Or I couldn't have written it ten years ago, or even you worse. Know, so for me, it's been that it takes time for you to get to your really clear in your mind about what it is you think is um, is best. And and then when I went looking for uh, the science round that all the research, I found that there were actually people who are seeking to uh, validate the same question. And and so I, in observing leaders, I look for those. I use those two criteria to see whether. A leader's trying to uh, balance the two, um, and uh, as I've come to know, you know history has seen many people who are really uh, who who are really good at it. And examples, and I, I'm referring to my book here. If you if you think about, you know, Mandela or, or, mm-hmm. or Gandhi or Sister Teresa uh, or Gorbachev in that era, um, they were different leaders to what their forebears might have been, and yes. and they were able to move. Uh, things, big things, without just using formal authority. They, you know, they were very, a lot more subtle. You know, versus the other side of the ledge, where people who are very good at getting stuff done. And an example like that might be a, a Margaret Thatcher or a, um, you know, Putin. It, it, in Russia right now, you you wouldn't be able to deny that the that the guy is, uh, demonstrates uh, strength as a leader.
0: You might not... be pulling rank on a few people too. <laughs> yeah,
4: and, and I'm not. Really... That's right. Um, and I'm not talking about his. Whether there is goal and purpose is correct here. I'm just yeah, talking about him, right. how, how, you know, focused they well, are on it.
0: And we talked before about positive and negative leadership. Yeah, that's and, right.
4: um, yeah. So, and, and even, you know, Trump is probably another example of very focused leaders who uh, unfortunately um, end up a lot of collateral damage around them. So yes. um, I'm really interested in watching, and that's probably the, the chat I have with a lot of developing leaders these days in yeah. saying, you know, get these two words in your mind, uh, think about whether you're, you know, find the balance and, and and certainly there's, you know, as I said, there's uh, whether it be through my article or through, through other literature, there's a lot there to be a lot there to be learned. But you can only see, you know, I, I imagine with senior people within the associ- within your associations that, um, you know, come to see things only because of the journey they've been on mm. and what they've learned and all the holes that they've fallen in personally. Uh, and... You know, they've become this very, um, uh, what's the word you'd probably use, would be very humble uh, person. And I um, am, am I allowed to say the K word in this room, which is the other martial arts? Sure. Because um, I've got an, a, a future door of the law who's uh, quite senior uh, in karate and, again, a karate family. And, and whilst you guys talk about going to Korea... As the homeland to whatever they, they talk they the talk same about, way about they Japan. Talk about, they talk about Japan, yeah. and she's got a trip coming up next year because she can't go to her next level dam because of uh, in Australia she's got to go back there, and and yet I see the same principles at play, and and whether it's I see similarities, Kate, in the way you operate with people. Uh, they've versus, had a lot of the same pain we have. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, well, I think it's the same thing where, where you know some of the real um, home ground needs are you know, respect. You're going to communicate well, being respectful, uh, all those things which flow through. I think it's I think it's wonderful. Yep. Um, and you know, I, I've got a lot of respect for the you know, sporting associations who help society in uh, teaching leaders how to be leaders without relying on rank and authority.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so that that one last question I wanted to add in kind of wraps a little bit of that up in the conversation that we had before about. The focus on why, whether it's through work or whether it's through Taekwondo, I'm always very conscious of why and our purpose and trying to bring some of our people back to that. And and I think in volunteering, the why is really important as well. I try and link what my goals are to the strategy of the organisation. Whether that's Taekwondo or work is irrelevant. I try and think about that why, but unless the values underlie the why then this it, it's going to end up as a train crash so ultimately and and my previous manager would be very, very excited to hear me link values into this because she was particularly keen to make sure that the why and the values were very much part of it so when it comes to leadership and rank is there a value that connects success to those areas what are the values that are really important and we have tenets within taekwondo so those values kind of conversations come along quite clearly quite often and our tenets for those who aren't taekwondo people are courtesy integrity perseverance self-control and indomitable spirit and sometimes that indomitable spirit is really important, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that ability to not give up um, and whether that's in developing that rank or in, in delivering the project as a leader, um, to me that's one of those critical ones because it'll fight you no matter what your organisation is. It will fight you and and I've had a lot of pain from from all different organisations in all different spheres. But... I think if we can get past that fight and make sure that the rest of the values apply and we deliver on the why, then we can get a good outcome. I'll toss it over to you guys for values, thoughts and comments, different values that are important to you.
2: um, Well, before we touch on that, I had one thing previously. No, 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 that's all right. I thought um, because we're winding up soon, I'd like to touch on it before we get on to the values. The one. No, yet. no. Okay, and that's um, leadership styles, yeah. and and there's one style we we tend not to talk about because we don't want to talk about, it. and that's that dictator type, um, the North Korean government, yep. who leads and has followers through fear, and and in some ways the ATA was like that, or I don't think it was like that, but people went one way because of fear of being out or whatever, but it was a very effective leadership style, this dictatorship that we're just going straight ahead this way and you know, sort of casualties this way,
3: I think but they go from A to B
2: and they, they get there.
0: I think sometimes yes. that's a, even a perception without yes. it necessarily being, being reality. Relative, yep. As I said, there was a couple of people who didn't want their voices heard in this space mm. because they were afraid yep. of being ostracised if they shared their opinion yep. or being excluded from something if they shared their opinion and it got to the wrong person. So they're living in that space that you're talking yes. about.
2: Yeah. But in terms of a direction and, and, and forward momentum, it's quite effective. Then yep. Let's ever always have this sort of roundtable discussion mm-hmm. and nothing gets done.
4: Yeah.
2: And, and you would have um, been frustrated with countless
3: meetings oh, yes. when you're the, you know,
2: the CEO and all that. Is, uh, where you think, well, just... Go, go this way.
3: Yeah. I think it raises a really interesting <laughs> point that there's a time and a place for so many leadership styles. Yeah, and yes. I'll, I'll liken this to my military stuff. Yeah. You know, there is a time and a place where I may be called upon and I know there's people who are just about to celebrate slash commemorate Anzac Day exactly. in two days' time when there's been leaders who have had to do exactly that, yes. knowing the collateral damage they're just about to walk into, okay. knowing what they're asking their soldiers... The men and women to do in 30 seconds, five minutes, three hours' time and go, it is because it is and we will without question. Yes. Um, uh, you know, how that's applied, when it's applied, yep. I, I we'll really hope point. it's never applied again but that is not the human condition, unfortunately. Um, and certainly emergency <laughs> services encounters that yeah, yeah. as well, that tough decision-making, knowing that
0: there's... Absolutely. Um, sometimes you've got to direct people. Yes. And yep. even though there might be collateral <coughs> damage or, or issues, So the bigger uh, picture or the whole, and know um,
3: yeah, my history and um, go back to the, my title, my title that I held, which was Director of National Security Intelligence Operations, um, uh, in a period in the world where we were experiencing attacks against Western interests every ninety-six hours. Okay, and my phone didn't stop, and I didn't sleep for uh, for about eighteen months, uh, and even say so Burke Street Mall. Um, So I went for my first run of the year on the day that Bourke Street Mall happened. I got a K and a half down the road and I got a phone call from a very senior person in the Department of Home Affairs, who was my boss, and said, "Uh, you better get back to the office because I've got the secretary and the commissioner of police for Victorian police on the phone. And I I was about seven minutes away. I took the first minute and a half to take a deep breath, make some phone calls. Then I sprinted. Then I put a jumper on, even though it was in the middle of summer because I had to single it on otherwise, and then I had to lead a team for 15 minutes to wrap up what we could do, then brief those two very senior people. I had time and space. I needed to get it done. Everybody knew what our objective was, but it was very dictatorial. This is what's happening. This is how we're going to do it. This is what I need you to do. Go. But then I have to shift back to the, okay, let's debrief. Um, I'm a big fan of people in leadership roles, knowing that they've got to shift and they've got to shift quickly, but they're also going to have very clear function and and outcomes. Mm. So
0: there's that strength and warmth, Mm. that command and control versus communications. Um, All of that has to be in balance for leadership to work within a rank-based environment. That's what I'm hearing
4: Fantastic. and just to speak about the teams, you know, because um, you know Sam ref, you know, referred to your team or his, uh, his team. On the basis of the relationships that would be in place already,
1: yeah.
4: uh, then uh, there would be a lot of give and take, and that's one of the things I see in healthy leadership environments that uh, leaders get to fail occasionally without uh, you know being overly judged or whatever, uh, because people appreciate that. Uh, the fact that they're willing to say, oh, I made a mistake as a leader or I made a you know, poor choice or whatever is such a powerful uh, moment and a powerful learning moment for other leaders to see uh, that you know, the, the sooner you get to um, acknowledging something that you might have done different with you know, a bit of hindsight, uh, it's, it's just a whole different world to that previous world which was only show things that make you out to be a strong leader, don't show any weaknesses and, for goodness sake, don't share any mistakes you've ever made, which is such a bad world for me. Got to be comfortable to fail.
0: Sounds
2: good. Getting back to values, yeah. I think in the Taekwondo space we all have the same values. It appears like in, the, in terms of once, once you get into that instructor role or the, the head instructor role, the, the others are sort of, those who don't have those values tend to have, Disappeared or, or, or fall they by the wayside. They slip away, starts. don't they? They slip away, and the, the the general consensus when you when you get into a room with that is that yeah, everyone's got a slight different take on what the value is, but generally the values are the same, and that's how we're brought up through the whole grading system. And that you don't survive through it without those sort of values.
0: And I think in a in a rank based organisation, the personal values of the leaders need to be consistent. With the organisation's values, for that to come together.
4: And I'll give you a, a nice, a nice little example uh, that we've tripped up on ourselves, and that is the value loyalty. Yeah. Uh, because if you say it to this person versus that person or these different teams, you know, this over here they're going to go, "Yep, it's that's about being loyal to the organisation, or loyal to the CEO, or loyal to the commissioner." Uh, if you but you go over here the same value, and they go, "Oh, no, it's about being loyal to your immediate team." Because yeah, you pack up bosses, you know. No. So people can really use it for good and for bad.
0: We have um, that same conflicting definition in Taekwondo with loyalty um, as to whether it's to the organisation or to our club or to our instructor. So it's very similar.
4: And even uh, when you get the, like another value, which is integrity, um, if, you, if you really believe that, then that includes sometimes having to. Um, have a difference of opinion with a friend, mm. or someone who you've been aligned with. Uh, maybe you've, you know your, your careers have been similar. You've ranked up at the same time, uh, and integrity requires you that if there's a moment that you need to call it out, regardless of friendship. And
0: knowing that there might be a consequence that that is challenging.
4: And you know, worst case, um, you know, there's a, a a former senior person who I worked for for a while, and he had an expression uh, which was, uh, friend or foe, in they go. Meaning, uh, if you're in an uh, ethical moment or a corruption moment, um, you need to jettison friendship out of it, or else that will just confuse the choice you take Correct. on whether to call this problem out or whether to protect a friend uh, to you know, turn a blind eye. Mm. And you know, my experience has been, when things get turned a blind eye in any context... Nothing good comes out. Yeah,
0: Integrity first, no matter what. All right. So as a bit of a wrap-up, I'll just do a quick scan of the room, see if there's anybody who had any questions or comments that they wanted to, to add or put to the panel. You don't have to. It's not compulsory. Um, but I just didn't want you to feel that, um, that you didn't have the chance to, to speak. Um,
3: I'm
0: not sure if I can word mine into a question or if it's more just a statement to the table
3: of within our sport we see or we we carry through children who are very young and before they're ten years old they have rank
2: and I just wanted to see how you help
0: form that rank to have leadership or do you find that as they get that rank ego becomes involved and you the children expect
2: to
0: have leadership because they have the black belt now, they have a dam. So how do you go about that? And and that is a tough one in our sport. We do have some people who are very young um, who end up at a relatively high rank compared to their age. Um, And (laughs) does that rank demand, demand them a position of leadership when they're young and don't necessarily have... I won't say the leadership skills, but maybe the maturity to balance all of that. Um, Michael, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, like um, I'm sure you've witnessed this in the class as well. Like in in Taekwondo, from the day you start, this thing about rank is always thrusted upon you. And, And you see it after a grading when Someone wants to stand here, and someone wants to stand here because now they think they're senior or, or junior, or and, and then they, well I'm I'm older, or I'm whatever whatever the uh, thing is. So that it's it sort of instilled in us. Um, I guess it's up to the instructor to, to keep uh, keep keep a uh, keep an understanding and a, and a lid on on it because yes, they are. If they started at four, they might be a black belt before they're ten, but. Um, they certainly don't have the life skills, a, a 10-year-old compared to a, a 30-year-old black belt. Um, but by the same token, if we if we didn't have this ranking system or this grading system, um, they might have left. So they might not even be in our sport and then they can't learn any of this stuff because they don't have to sort of be there. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's up to the, the instructors to... Um, give them an understanding of what this, it's not that black and white, it's a little bit more grey about just because, you, you know, you, yeah, you might be a, a red belt or so and a red belt's higher than a blue belt, but, um, you yeah, know, well, I don't know what happens in, in, in your class. Like, where do we, you know, I, I get a bit, you have know, got a 10-year-old and a, a 30-year-old, but he might got his black belt first, but, you know, should this person be before this one? Yeah,
0: and, and then there's the question of those who um, stop grading, who, who train that's and correct. continue to be part yes. of clubs and organisations yep. and all of a sudden there's these children who are higher ranked yes, than yeah. them, um, they but it. they have a massive amount of experience and yes. deserve respect yes, for their right. knowledge yeah. and, and background. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a careful balance and I think that leadership yeah. um, is vital Um, in the senior instructors um, to make sure that that balance between rank and expectations is important? And is it through the management of those expectations with an individual one-on-one that we achieve a successful outcome there? Great question.
4: I think it's great that we can give young people authority, allow them to learn or to learn how to deploy it. and they're going to make mistakes and that's where having senior leaders who are able to mentor and facilitate that and expect that these young folk because they don't have a life experience to Michael's point
0: but they are potentially our future but
4: they are our future yeah you know, and have just you saw that thing we did up when did, went did up in Cairns where we you know graduated a large group of SES volunteers oh recently we were, yes you know, that all was 16, wonderful more 16 to 18 and and you know, and I found myself sitting there looking at this group, going, "Well, that, that, that's that's the future, not me, yeah. not not others in this room." And so that for me says, "Well, yeah, is it ideal that we've got a ten-year-old the black belt, and and I don't know enough about the, um, the sport to uh, comment from a technical perspective, but from a leadership development perspective, I think there's some opportunities there that you're actually thrusting people in to the situation. It might take them a few years, but I reckon, but you know. Okay. You tell me, you know, Michael, and anyone else in the room who's got the experience here, that you know, a 10-year-old who got their black belt at um, 10, uh, I reckon by the time they're 16 or 18, I reckon they probably have um, honed. And they're probably yeah. ranked again, but, but they'd be a very different black belt to what they were back then. And, because and as we said life sometimes. has caught up a little bit, they've got the experiences, they've, yeah. they've grown, they've Um, And and they're probably shaped enough to be a potential uh, very valuable leader in society more more generally.
0: And they're often the ones who, as we mentioned early on, become the school leaders. Um, It's the the kids who, who become the school captain or the in that leadership group within school who've been part of a martial art, who might be black belts, who might be young achievers, um, and it's good to encourage that but to keep that balance. And I reckon that the
4: ones in that situation who have ended up in other leadership roles, mm. I, my, my, my gut feel is that it's not because they've gone chasing it, it's mm. because they start to gem- demonstrate the characteristics and people around them. You know, when you know, the teacher says, put your hand up if you want be, you know, school captain or all the rest of it, the ones who don't go chasing it, but get yep. sort of um, encouraged, you know, they're the, they're the ones who end up being the good leaders. Yes. Because they're not there to satisfy their own ego. Which they might it. have learnt
0: some skills through being given an
4: opportunity. Communication, you know, cons- you know being able to get consensus, all those things that are um, soft skills. But With a guiding hand behind them. Correct. Yeah. I think we've got to enhance that and. and.
2: Not knock it on the head and that, but give them the understanding of this yeah the responsibility.
0: Great. Any other questions, comments? Jerry? I'll throw
3: this one the military power member if it may.
2: in your village do you believe the leader makes a rank or does the
3: rank make a good leader? This is a tough one. Uh, I think the, the leader often makes the rank but the rank becomes irrelevant re- irrelevant in some circumstances. Um, I think people rely on rank to provide that authority and that's a, that's a dangerous scenario. It's how we get into the space where it's, they're, they're, they're framed by what's on their shoulder or what's on their belt or otherwise. And without the skill to apply it, they're missing really critical pieces of, of, of that rank. Organisationally, there's, there's, I think, leadership and rank come together really well at that middle rank. Uh, middle ranks in any organisation where it's really about the humans and at the really high end of, of, of ranks, often it's actually less about the humans and actually that's a different skill in itself. You've got to forget about sometimes the ones and twos because you're dealing with organisations of hundreds of thousands or, or thousands. It's so dependent on the task and the function you're trying to achieve. Uh, when you're leading soldiers, I've got 300 soldiers under my command at the moment as a reserve officer. I have to rely on hierarchy to get things done, but they have to be inspired by me as an individual. How do I to inspire three hundred people who are around the whole of New South Wales state in twenty different locations? It's um, I have have to show both rank and leadership at different times. I have to know when to execute it. You know, we've talked about values, but the one thing I guess is individualism. Um, And, you know, some people, rank is their need as in they feel powerful because of getting rank and others is the leadership and the style of leadership that they have and that connection to people and communicating and understanding people and leading them forward is, is another need. And I guess when we talked about volunteers and employment, both of those can be a need for an individual as well. So that community help and the need to help people, but also that security of employment and, you know, providing for your family. So... I think it's just a reflection on the conversation today that there's values, but it's also linked to the needs of the individual and how you know, people go about doing different things and that leadership and like right crosses over based on the need of the individual. But I enjoyed today's discussion, so thank you. <coughs>
2: um, Andrew, know, from my volunteering side of, of life to my work life. Um, my leadership doesn't change. It doesn't matter what rank I've been.
3: The leadership that I've tried to instill in uh, everybody has stayed the same across the board. And I like the couple of words you used—the the strong and, and the warmth
2: uh, side of things. I've tried to do that. I must admit, and it doesn't matter what level, really. Um, and I think I've seen that in other people where they've kept that. And I'll use the word value here across the board. It doesn't matter where you are. You still come across as the good leader um, or the bad leader <laughs> either way but hopefully good leader um, keeping those values in there yeah
4: the, uh, the, the word that, that appears to be you being lot like, at the moment is authentic leadership okay. and I think what you just described is what, what that is for you I think I try to be an authentic leadership and that includes me acknowledging that I have good days and I have bad days. I'm I'm very comfortable these days if I've just been disturbed because of whatever reason um, and walking back to my own office of of saying to my own staff, give me half an hour. Don't don't, don't bring anything into me at the moment because I won't be at my best. And I think once you can get into that space, uh, people are very accommodating uh, for that uh, as opposed to them wondering whether it's uh, them that you're pissed off at. Where is it? Yeah, you know, being upfront to say no, just something else here, but I, I just need time to time to gather. Yeah, so yeah, that, and that I think is an expression of trying to get away from the ego-driven. Uh, I never can be wrong as a leader, uh, versus someone who is willing to uh, own you know, their strengths and weaknesses as it stands now. And even though um, you, know, you did mention that you think you're the same, you, you probably. I would imagine you've probably got more skill sets. You've got more skills than you had 5 or 10 or 15 because cool. that, yes. that, that evolves and, and they become more tools in the toolkit for you, you yes. know, to, to use. And, and it um, you know, some things that I'm pretty comfortable with now in terms of situations, uh, you know, it would have been 5 or 10 or 15 years ago, I would have been you know, under, under the desk, you know, sucking a thumb because I had because I no concept of how I'm going to deal with this. At least now I've got... Uh, some history I can draw upon to, uh, you know, use patent recognition to say, well, this situation is not quite like that one I've already had, but it's close that I can cobble together a solution. Uh, but, yeah, it's really, uh, you know, Kate, I think that, you know, the key thing is it's probably more art than science. So on that, um,
2: Tim, I think you must be comfortable with yourself, I feel, that, like, regardless it's of the, the different situations or whatever, you just... You're not, um, how you put it, by the ordeal of this organisation or that. You just want to be yourself. and you're, you're, oh, That's how I mm. find you come across. You're comfortable with yourself, whether it's refereeing or, or coaching or the instructing, you're, you're Tim mm. sort of thing. So that, I think that comes through your own personality and that. If you're comfortable within your own skin, it doesn't matter what role you are, you just do the best you you
4: are. Yeah? The great thing is when you get in the space of being yes. comfortable with yourself... Yeah. You actually become very consistent yep. because you're not bouncing yep. around and fear and of what other people fear think. Of, you know, yeah, preempting yep. sort of the reaction people want from you. Yep. You, you, you stay within your own uh, you know, values driven boundaries or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's quite interesting.
0: That's great. All right, final comments. I captured everyone in the room. Captured the thoughts of the table. I'm just going to final finish this with uh, an adaptation of one of the quotes that I made earlier. It says, leadership doesn't automatically happen when you reach a certain pay grade or a certain rank. Hopefully we find it there. May we always continue, whether we're emergency services, military or our beloved sport of taekwondo, may we always find leadership in those ranked positions because that's the future that will bring those young leaders through and will keep it going. As I said, in my legacy, that our club lasts well beyond me. Thanks so much, everyone, for coming today. What a great discussion. I have really, truly enjoyed the last couple of hours. Yeah, really appreciate your time and effort today.
4: Thank you for facilitating. I know one of these other uh, gentlemen would have said that or anyone else in the room, but, um, yeah, it's going it can be a tough job.
0: Love it, my pleasure. I think it's the first for taekwondo,
4: like this sort of
2: forum. Yeah.
0: Forum sort of thing, which is good. I might you? have done a few firsts in our sport. There you are.
3: <laughs> oh, thank you. There's leadership in action. There is. A, yes.
0: Uh, thank you. All good.